Hey everyone, welcome back to the Game Changers podcast, inspiring conversations with the leaders of tomorrow. My name is AJ. And I'm Harsh. And today we have Alina Jerka with us, um, captain of the Pandas um, tennis team, recently off of a national champions win. And you've been captains for two years, and um, this is your third finals in a row? Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah. Well, congratulations, and <laughs> Thank thanks you. for coming on. And, thanks for having me. And for those people who don't know Alina, um, she's playing. She's been playing nationals for um, like in in Canada since she was nine years old, and um, until seventeen years old. Yeah. And she's a University of Alberta student um, in her fourth year studying economics, and is a student athlete here. So uh, thanks for coming on. And to start off, uh, you know, definitely want to talk about your championship win and that run and how does it feel like you're the captain of the team and you guys just won like all over like it's it constitutes all over Canada and you guys won the tournament yeah um well it feels amazing I think um it's actually my biggest achievement in my university tennis mostly because that is my that was my first year as a captain that we won so I took the win very personally and it was really amazing to be there and to be able to have that win under our belts was um so this is your third championship trip in a row right mm-hmm. um what was the feeling different this time did you have a chip on your shoulder because you guys lost last year or yeah for sure like we increased our training so much over summer um and from the previous years we just knew that we had to work ha- even harder and be better this year so right. yeah i was just there was like this sure. fire in the team <laughs> yeah, better. exactly so okay i have a question so you guys just won nationals, and you know Bianca just won her U.S. Mm-hmm. O- her U.S. Open, and mm-hmm. so is there like a connection? Like, cause I know you guys have played in the similar <laughs> tournament. Like, what's going on? Like, yeah. are you guys sharing tips or something? Or? No, we're not sharing tips. But actually, uh, Bianca was actually playing at the same time in the same venue that we were playing at. So we got to watch her win um, the Rogers Cup since we play on the grounds of Rogers Cup in oh, nationals. Wow. So. It was yeah, it was cool. <laughs> we were in the same room as uh, as her, so it was pretty cool. That's awesome. And you got some calls too, right? Like you, you were telling me you got some interview calls, like asking about Bianca, like oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Canada was pretty shocked after the U.S. Open. Um, a lot of the questions that we got were like what it had to do with Bianca. So and and what kind of an impact she had on Canadian tennis, right. which was huge. I heard Drake finally texted her. Did you get a text from Drake yet? No. So wait, not yet. <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> I'm waiting. <laughs> All right. So the way we like to start off, Lena, is just by going into a little bit about the background and like your upbringing in a way. So okay. tell us a little bit about like how you got into tennis. Yeah. So I started. Um, well, I started just because I was a child that had a lot of energy. <laughs> My parents just put me into the sport um, when I was five, and um, yeah, I started in Romania. Um, so you were born in Romania? I was born in Romania, yes. Yeah. So I started at the age of five and then moved um, moved to Canada with my family when I was nine and then continued playing throughout my junior tennis um, career and just really loved the sport. So So you started U12, right? And you were playing U12 when you were nine years old? Yeah, so when we, when I first came to Canada, the, the level really wasn't there at that age, so... Um, I had to play a category higher, and there was actually no players that were even my age at the time. So, yeah, <laughs> played U12s at the age of nine. And that was like nationals. Was that like U12 national or uh, what? Because you played nationals from nine to seventeen, right? So, 
what was that experience like? And was that like you're playing up divisions essentially then? Yeah, so I started playing, uh, my first nationals was at nine. I had, I got a wild card for Team Alberta, so I got to compete at the time. But yeah, I was definitely, I think I was definitely one of the youngest playing at that time. So it was a crazy experience. And then after that, it was just like this rush to want to be better and want to com- continue to play nationally and uh, start even playing internationally at sometimes. Yeah. What, um, because at such a young age, if you're playing on like a national stage, is there a lot of pressure? Like, did you feel a lot of pressure at that age, or was it like, how did you react to that? Yeah, there's definitely pressure. At first, you, when you're like a kid, you don't really realize what goes into uh, wanting to be that good. And then, you know, like the pressure comes from uh, like how much time you have to spend training, how much it actually means to like your family and even your coaches that you, you succeed in what you do. And, um, that the hours of training that you put in actually show in the long run. Right. And there's a lot of investment that goes on too. I know we were talking about this yesterday and um, like, well, I'll let you do it. Like walk us through like a regular day that you would have when you're like, you know, 10 or 12, 10, 10 11 or 12. Because I remember like I would just go to school, come home, you know, play some FIFA, like play, <laughs> play on my PS4, watch some cartoons and that's about it. Right? Yeah. Like, so, it so like... Um, during that time, I spend a lot of time like training in both the gym and on the court. So, um, my regular day would be tennis in the morning and then, uh, that would start early on because I also had to hit that school time at eight or eight thirty. So, um, like a, an hour to two hours in the morning and then I'd go to school, come back from school and then I'd have another three to four hours of training in the afternoon. And then... Then I'd do homework after that. <laughs> but that yeah, that's a lot at such a young age. Like, did you feel kind of looking around other kids and who are just doing like whatever they wanted? Did you feel like a level of sacrifice at such a young age too? Like, yeah, you actually do feel it. It's just mostly because of that atmosphere. Like when you're younger, you want to go to birthday parties, you want to have uh, sleepovers, things like that. You know, and like. The amount of times that I had to be like, wait, no, I can't make that because I have training at 5 a.m. in the morning. Or, oh, I can't make that because I have to be out of town to play this tournament. So a lot of the times you do feel it as a kid, mostly because of the societal pressures in that time. Mm-hmm. But you like kind of you kind of chose it. Like it's not like because, you know, we we're talking about this and like no one put this on you. You wanted to pursue it to that level and to that extent where you're like just practicing every day just because you love the sport so much. And. Like, you know, like, you did you did, did you have any pressure from your parents or any of that sort? Um, my parents never pressured me, really, to play the sport, so I did it really truly because I enjoyed playing it. Um, they did pressure me in school, so I had to keep my grades up to play tennis, and that was kind of um, my motivation was that I had to continue to be good at school and at the sport, and I had to continue to make my academics a priority as well as like you know my hobby of playing tennis on the side what um because you're right like at such a young age like where did this dip discipline come from essentially like was it did you just have this burning passion for tennis and you really wanted to play pro is that what drove you or what drove you at such a young age yeah I did at once like at one point I did want to play pro um my discipline actually came mostly from my parents <laughs> they made sure I was like training in the morning like as a kid you didn't really want to get up to five but like my mom and dad were like okay hey, you gotta go to tennis gotta finish that gotta continue to train and 
they actually did instill that discipline in me, even though to them it was like, you can quit whenever you want. Mm-hmm. We still want you to be disciplined and like train hard at what you're going to train at. Like if you want to do it, do it well. Right. <laughs> and there's a big like, <clears throat> like I think parents have a huge role in like mm-hmm. athletes because every athlete, it's like most of the time it's like, the the kid gets involved in it because the parents because you need the parent support right at that such an age you're naive and um, even when you're so young and to play at that level you, you basically like you started playing at five right and you have to play from such an early age and parents have such a huge role you know in towards a you know sports career as well and like you were saying you know and you we were talking about this yesterday as well like tell us a little bit more about you know their investment and what kind of decisions they have to make and sort of investment because tennis is a very expensive sport and it's kind of considered like a classy sport just because it's mm. such a high high class sport and high, like such a high investment on talking about financial advice. Yeah, uh, your parents are kind of like your, either your biggest fans or like, you know, the people that kind of drive you to it, especially when you're a child. Um, like, of course, it's so expensive. It's not like soccer. You can't just have like a, t- like a soccer ball and like that you can kick around a field. You need like a court. You need um, it's like a technique-based sport a lot of the time, so you do kind of need that extra coaching on the side, the group lessons, things like that, and that does become very pricey for parents. And that's where they have to make decisions between, you know, like, do I put my child in tennis or do we pursue a different sport or a different activity that isn't as expensive? So, yeah, your parents play a huge role in junior tennis, um, and... And actually, also in their attitudes. So you can have a parent that either, like, makes you succeed or makes you fail in the sport. A lot of parents um, and a lot of tennis horror stories that I've heard is that, you know, parents really push their child way too much and, like, put so much pressure on them, either by really making a big investment and making them want to succeed so much that they hate the sport, or they become, like these people that really encourage you and push you to be really good. Like, I felt like my parents did that very well. They didn't, um, they disciplined me to be really into it, even though, yeah, Yeah. even though it was a lot of pressure. What was, um, so I want to get, I guess, progressing along a little bit. Like, what was the scope of these tournaments that you're playing at? So, like, nationals or, like, were they travel tournaments or how did that work, kind of work? Yeah, so very rarely were they in Alberta. I had to travel a lot to Eastern Canada to play these tournaments. Nationals was often Eastern Canada, so. Right. Yeah. And was, um like, you have to cover all the costs yourself then, or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not, like, something that you can, um, it's not, like, a fundraise team event type of thing. You definitely, right. it's all in your parents' from, from their pockets, basically. Yeah. And, like, I guess the audience level at, like, these tournaments, like, the people that come out to watch, mm-hmm. um, because I think you were mentioned earlier, like, Bianca and you were, like, in a similar tournament, like, age 12 mm-hmm. or 13. So are there a lot of, like, I guess college or, like, national level, like, coaches out there watching and scouting, too? Or how does that yes, work? Yes, actually. Uh, when you become, like, when you start playing under 18, that's when uh, U.S. college coaches come out and scout um, and, like, come and watch nationals. And then uh, as juniors, if you do want to play in the States, you... Um, travel and play international tournaments as well so that's where the scouting kind of happens and then yeah that's how you get recruited yeah like you know when you talk about traveling and I know you were sharing this story as well before um it's like you kind of need to have like a hard head because 
you know, there's like 64 people that go into a tournament and only 50% of them kind of advance to the next round. And mm -hmm. it's kind of, a, it's a huge risk. And I remember like you want to share that story about, you know, it's happened to you a couple of times where you've mm -hmm. gone really far. Yeah. And, yeah, so. yeah, for sure. Uh, it happened actually like several times, even nationals. But like one, one good example is that I had a trip to Mexico where I was just there to play the tournament and kind of lost first round and had to just get back on that plane and fly home and that's like such a disappointing thing like you play one or two matches and then you're done you don't really win anything you kind of just spent like so much money getting their accommodation like different things right so yeah it's a lot of pressure so how do you maintain that like chap like it's because I call it like a championship mindset where you know Obviously, yes, you have ups and downs, and you lose often. Like you, it's not you're never always gonna win, right? And how do you keep your head up and say, you know, I'm gonna go, I'm going, I'm going to the next competition? Because obviously, when your parents are investing so much money on you, and like there's just a even from your own side, like there's such a huge uh, time investment going on as well. Six hours a day on training, you know, and like there's so much pressure on you, right? And even our parents, like there's pressure on them too because they're saying, hey, I'm putting so much money on my child to play the sport and get really good at it and if they're not performing at that level it, it brings a lot of pressure right? yeah um how I maintained it well I definitely loved winning so when I did win it was like okay I'm like really motivated to do better but what I absolutely hated was losing <laughs> so I couldn't stand losing I'd come back and be like okay next time I won't lose or like gotta change something um and I also had a really good coach at the time that was just very motivated to see me succeed and yeah that was important to me was just getting back at it training um, more and better like sometimes it's just the quality that you train at so making sure I get better hits even traveling to to train with better players than what I had in the province was really important to me and it just kept on making me improve over time. Was that a big challenge like finding people of an equal skill level in the province? Um, yeah, so like when I did, obviously at the beginning, there wasn't, it wasn't a challenge, but as I progressed up, like became first in Alberta, um, like there was no girls that I could hit against that would actually challenge me. It would just be like the same tournament, same girls playing and it would just, I would, there wouldn't be a challenge. Um, so I did have to travel a lot to get that higher level training. Right. And, uh, I guess, so going along, like looking at like your tennis career like what did you envision where did you envision it going did you envision yourself playing pro or or did you at some point because you mentioned that earlier where did it change what happened mm -hmm. uh, yeah I did actually do like I definitely wanted to go pro I think it was like the the childhood dream of mine you know how some people want to be an astronaut I wanted to be a pro tennis player yeah but um it changed the biggest shift was uh when I got really injured I had a knee injury and I got out of the sport for like two years. How old were you at this time? Um, I was 12, I think, or 13. Right. Um, but around that age where I got like insanely injured and I wasn't able to even like step onto a tennis court. So I just like took a year and a half, I think, off of completely playing tennis. And um, that's when I was like, okay, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Pro won't happen for me. So that didn't, that that shifted a lot towards more being like, okay, I need a career now, you know? Right. I, I want to delve deeper into that. So this big, like, um, 
essentially obstacle in your way, right? Like you have this injury and mm-hmm. you're saying you changed your mindset of where you saw yourself going with tennis. So coming out of that, like, did you still want to keep wanting to compete at a high level or what, um, how did you envision yourself with that? Yeah. So throughout my, that injury, I definitely was very, it was like something was taken away from me almost, you know, I was like, I need to get back. I need to play. I really loved playing it. So a big aspect was getting back and training again. Um, so during that time, I did a lot of um, physiotherapy and mostly just training in the gym and stuff. Like I wasn't able to play, but I was able to like make myself stronger in a way. So coming back, I did want to play at a high level. And actually, the way it happened was I ended up um, like I got back and I ended up actually being really successful and being able to play. Like, for example, I played the Canada Summer Games, like, the year I got back from my injury. So everyone was like, what happened? That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Yeah, it was a a pretty big deal because it's it's an event that happens every four years. And only four people go, so from each province. So I was able to do that event, which was huge at the time. And then that just motivated me to continue being competitive and stuff. Yeah, so thanks for sharing that. And going off of that, um, you know, that transitioned into, you know, after that process and that injury and mm-hmm. Canada Summer Games, then you got into university and that student-athlete process. So, you know, obviously we have lots of, most of our audience base are students watching. And mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about that uh, lifestyle. Like, because there's those preconceived notions that, you know, student-athletes, it's really difficult and this and that. Like, walk us through what your lifestyle is like on the regular. Um. It's it's a little bit more challenging, I guess, than just being a student, but it's kind of like having a part-time job, I guess you can describe it as. So, like, many students actually face that, right, the time management aspect of school. You have to be really good at managing your time, making sure everything is kind of organized throughout your day and being able to train and study at the same time. What does, like, the commitment look like as a student-athlete? Like, how much time do you need to put in, you know, obviously, mm-hmm. in... You have your classes, but for training for athletics, like, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. So, actually, like, it definitely depends on each student-athlete, but for tennis specifically, we try to train at least six hours on court during the week, and then, uh, like, at a minimum, three hours in the gym. But a lot of us try to do a little more than that. Right. And is that, like, say, like, an hour a day, like, you add on, like, an hour workout, or do you have to, like, is there days where you do, like, two days in a way, too, like, you're working out in the gym and you're training for tennis as well? Um, or how does it spread It's definitely, out? so, yeah, the gym portion is definitely, like, on your own. You yeah. have to be accountable for that. We have trainers that keep us accountable as well, but it's not something that's necessarily scheduled. You just have to be able to do it. Uh, making sure you don't skip out on your workouts is huge. Um, and then the on-court portion of it is definitely um, something that's more structured. Like, we have certain hours that we're training at, things that you have to show up to and be accountable for. Right. Yeah. And, you know, well, since we're on this, like, topic, and so, like, you know, you know, you were talking about this, and you said you chose to stay here, because mm-hmm. I remember I was giving my SATs, and you were giving your SATs, yeah. and I saw you, I was like, oh, Alina, what are you doing giving <laughs> your SATs here? And you're like, yeah, I'm considering maybe having that option of going to the U.S., but mm-hmm. you ended up to choose, I know you got some really amazing offers from the U.S. as well, but you ended up choosing to stay at U of, like, going to U of A. So, like, you know, talk about, like, the difference in maybe being a student-athlete in the U.S. and uh, maybe in Canada. Yeah. So, I did go through a lot of um, 
you know, talking to coaches in the States and things like that. So I got to know a lot of the programs in the States and what's offered. And ultimately, um, why I chose to stay here was mostly because I wanted to focus on my academics more than um, athletics at the time. So, um, for example, in the States, I think the, the athlete culture is bigger. So you do get more funding for sports, more things like that, where... Whereas in like in Canada, it's, it's more academic focus. So, for example, I talk to a lot of coaches and they'd be like, okay, so you have five hours of training a day and then also get a degree on top of that. <laughs> so that's kind of why I was, I was not really up for that challenge, um, mostly just because I really wanted to focus on my academics during right. that time. Um, and the really good perk of being in Canada is that I can still do that just on a little bit of a more, uh, um, you know, chilled out version of that. Yeah, yeah. So still able to compete competitively, mm -hmm. just less yeah. stressful. But there's also like a bit of a, like obviously commitment difference for sure, but there's like a reward difference too. And this kind of bugged me yesterday because we we're talking about this and you said, you guys won the nationals and all you got was like a dinner. And like, like I feel like that's not fair, especially like, <laughs> And in the U.S., like, the rewards are crazy. Like, mm. if, like, the, even the coach, like, if, you know, you're telling me, like, the coach of the winning team gets, like, half a million dollars or something. Yeah, sometimes. Like, yeah, like. <laughs> Depends, So, yeah. like, what's, like, that huge, that's a huge gap in, like, reward. And mm -hmm. I feel like that kind of influences motivation, too. Like, if, if you know, if I'm, a, if I'm a student athlete, I can say, hey, why would I stay here? I want to go to the U.S. And because it's more rewarding there as well. And, yeah, obviously, if you want to do more school, then you would stay here. Mm. But how does that make you feel like just that difference in the work? You know, sometimes I look back and I was like, I always think, oh, what if I had that opportunity to go to the States? Just because um, you do have that reward, you're right. Like you get a lot more out of being a student athlete in the States than you do in Canada. But if you think about it, there's so much money that goes into sports in the U.S. So there is that difference that, um, you know, a coach does get paid that much more or you get that much more of a scholarship and things like that. So, yeah. What do you think is missing? Like, do you think what's missing here that to kind of bring that reward and motivation to players, especially you being the captain of the women's team, like what would you want to have seen your players been rewarded with, like on your, on your team? Um, I'm not going to complain because we do get a lot of things still. So we do get like – and you know we get scholarships yeah. here in Alberta and we are the only school in Canada that actually gets those scholarships so we're pretty fortunate yeah. but obviously like more um kind of more recognition like I sometimes still go around school and it's like oh we have a tennis team like yeah, I had like no that. idea <laughs> and I'm like yeah we won nationals like <laughs> we have one but I think um yeah it's just a bigger sport in the states tennis is just bigger yeah. in the states there's more coaching all the really good coaches go to the states because they just get paid more there you know all the really good facilities go to the states just because they can afford to have them you know so um and also tennis isn't youth sports yet um we're on the list to be youth sports so we're really pushing for it uh but we still have to come up with our own funding our own money um so that's kind of a challenge for us right so um we're talking about benefits and like I don't want to like bash at the UA, but like there's some good things to talk about too. Like if you're a student athlete, you get free access to like you get coaching, you get access to facilities. Like mm -hmm. you know, you want to talk about it? 
Yeah. Um, we do get free, so we get free court bookings and a free membership to um, the Saville Community Sports Center, which is pretty good. Um, we get free trainers and, um, you know, massage therapists, physiotherapists, sport medicine doctors if we need them. Yeah. Um, for example, I'm injured. <laughs> like the next day I was able to have a physio appointment and then the day after I was able to see a sports um, medicine doctor, which is crazy. So you are the captain tonight. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's available to all students. VIP treatment. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, special treatment. They also pay me to be there. <laughs> no, but I, yeah, we get all these perks. We also have the physio that sometimes travels with us, which is great. Um, I know a lot of the team sports always have physio that travels with them, so that student athlete aspect is great. Um, just events and opportunities around campus that we can take part of. Um, for example, we get opportunities to volunteer at the Stollery, which is like hard spots to obtain a lot of the time. So like mm -hmm. as a student athlete, you can get that opportunity to volunteer and give back to the community and also just take part in student athlete life. Right. Athletes, you know, um, I want to switch gears a little bit, I guess going back, um, to what you're saying about going pro earlier, right? And like playing at this really high level. I'm assuming people that you used to compete with in these tournaments growing up in nationals, like some of them are pursuing that road of pursuing tennis uh, professionally. Like, yeah. can you give some insight on that? Like, what does that look like? Or people like that? Or mm -hmm. do you ever feel like if you, like, do you ever wish you pursued a route like that? Um, looking at it now, I don't really wish I pursued that. <laughs> It goes, it's a, it's a lot of pressure, it's a lot of um, effort, and um, not very high stakes <laughs> for you, like going into a pro um, mindset, I guess. But I do have a lot of friends that I used to compete with and I keep in touch with now, and they are trying to pursue that pro um, position, I guess, but... Um, it's crazy. Like I talk to them, and they they're always on the road. They're always traveling. Um, what goes into being pro is is so much. You need to have a team behind you constantly. You need to pay out of pocket everything at first, at least anyway, before you start winning and stuff. Um, so it's very tough on the person um, that's trying to like mentally as well. Yeah, guess, mentally, right? mentally and financially, I think they face a lot of problems. Like. You look at Andreescu and like or like Bianca Andreescu and you call her Bianca. You guys are on personal Bianca. terms. Like, yeah, of course. Like, <laughs> no, that's my, I don't that's think my I've old ever friend. It's my old friend from juniors competition. Like, it's no, <laughs> you know what? It's cool. It's right. Um, but no, uh, you look at her and you can see like the team she has. She has coach that travels with her. She has physio that travels with her. She probably has like. I don't know what dietitian that travels with her. I don't. I don't know, but like all of that, you pay out of pocket. You pay for your coach to travel. You pay for their accommodation. You pay for different things, right? So a lot of pressure for sure. Because again, you mm -hmm. can just travel and lose first round, and then yeah, like, like yeah, and like especially so. starting out too, because um, like you know when you're in that junior phase, and because like a city like Edmonton. Like, just doesn't have that infrastructure to get you that level. Like you said, you just didn't have anyone you could compete with when you were provincials number one, and you, like, had to play with guys. And like you just said, you basically have to move to, like, a, a training center, mm -hmm. like, but, like, maybe, which is, like, in Montreal or Toronto. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, like, it's a huge shift for your family. Like, it's, it's lots of, like, your family is, like, 
a part of everything, right? And at that level, like, your family has to make those um, changes as well along with you. Yeah, for sure. I know uh, a really good girl in Alberta. She's under, I think she's 15 now, but she just got selected to go to the Montreal National Tennis Center. Um, so she just had to move to Montreal. Her family's still here, but, you know, like, your family has to be very willing to adapt to that change and to support you throughout that and to be able to afford everything that you do so yeah even for her like that's a huge sacrifice like at, at 15 I'm thinking about my first house party like oh <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean and like you're having to move to Montreal just to yeah uh you know pursue your career and it's so much sacrifice that goes on to it like mm -hmm. from everyone around you and even yourself to like time money everything yeah yeah. yeah, there is, yeah. Is, um, I want to ask, like, what's your perspective now, I guess, looking back almost in a sense? Because you put in a lot of hours, you put in a lot of time mm -hmm. doing this just as a passion in search of, like, this higher goal, right? Mm -hmm. Like, playing at a higher level. Do you have a different perspective on that now? Like, do you wish sometimes, or do you sometimes think you committed too much to this? Or what's your perspective on that? I don't think so. I think everything that I put into the sport, it's given back to me as well. Like, for example, I'm able to coach and I'm able to have that part-time job that's not as really as stressful as other part-time jobs, I'm sure. Like, I have smaller hours, like, um, shorter time that I'm actually coaching, so, and then I get a really good salary, too. <laughs> I'm not complaining about that. But it's also given me, like, you know, this opportunity to play varsity tennis, to get scholarships and to... Um, be able to still enjoy the sport even now and yeah I don't regret it at all I also think playing sport at a really high level gives you so many different skills like for example time management like you have to be really good at it throughout your life mm -hmm. really right. <laughs> or like your training and really like being a team player, different things. Like, they still give you that quality. Even just discipline, like, just staying mm -hmm. focused on what you want to do in your goal, right? Yeah, for sure. That's a huge thing. Like, being able to push through hardship. You know. Make those sacrifices. Yeah. 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 For sure. And, you know, when we're talking about you you getting that opportunity to play at that level, and I think your parents have a huge contribution to that. But I think not everyone has that opportunity. And I think that's the biggest issue with tennis right now, where... There's so many barriers to entry where it's so it's such a huge investment where you're talking about four or five thousand dollars a month, right? Mm -hmm. You're putting into what like your ten like nine ten year old and <laughs> it's a it's a huge sacrifice, a huge investment, and not everyone can afford to play like just do that. So talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's definitely a closed off sport in a lot of ways. It's a, it's a community thing. It's a small community thing. Um, and yeah, I've seen that. I've definitely seen a lot of players that um, whose families couldn't afford for it, and they just, you know, ended up stopping, even though they had so much talent and, like, you know, they could have had a future in it, but there was just no financial ability to do that. Um, yeah, you see it actually in almost every sport, but tennis, I think, is, you know, that elite community. Um, it's. It's, yeah, it's very well, sad really. to I, see. Like I'd say, like sports like soccer and uh, like basketball, these are like so popular that now if you're good, you'll get recognized and you'll get the opportunity. Like no one can stop you, right? Wherever you are in the world, if you're really good, you'll get the opportunity. Yeah. And but I think when it's a sport like tennis where it's so expensive and you're talking about mm -hmm. traveling in those tournaments and stuff, I think like it's just kind of closed off. And it's yeah. changed. Like has it changed somewhat since when you were younger and now? Yeah, it has changed a little bit. We There's definitely, you can see different programs that 
offer younger kids like free or very cheap, you know, camps or lessons that are like group lessons and stuff like that, just to get them interested in the sport. Um, but the problem is um, still is still there. Like right. you're still seeing people who can't afford the sport. You're still seeing. Even people like you, Harsh, who came and you're like, oh, I want to be good at tennis. What do I do? How do I make it cheap? It's hard to. Yeah, like, Alina's my personal like... coach, by the way. <laughs> she hits with me. Like, I'm so lucky. Panda's captain, my personal coach. Still get beat by me, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, and AJ, you got a little competition going to Alina, a question I have for you, just before we get into our last like little mm-hmm. segment. Um, does your motivation now, like, what drives you as a student-athlete? Because when you were younger, say you had this passion of you wanted to get a college scholarship or you wanted mm-hmm. to play pro. What drives you now, now that you kind of see, like, you're almost, I, want, I would say, like, reaching almost, like, the peak of your tennis career in a way? Like, what keeps you going now? Um, I still very much enjoy it. Um, I also find a lot of, like, I, I find a lot of enjoyment in still being able to compete even though I'm not going pro, even though I'm not in the States, having this ability to play varsity tennis is still really great. Yeah. And uh, what motivates me is, it's like, it has several things. I guess one main thing is definitely exercise. I'm still getting that exercise that I really, like, need. Um, And then the second thing is I'm able to have this team, like, of girls that are my friends and also, like, these people that push me to be better, um, which is great. Um, so I get that team environment with right. varsity tennis and really just being able to compete and play. Right. Like, I really love it. And that's, uh, touching on that, like, because you're team captain, right? Mm-hmm. What, have you learned a lot about leadership? Have you made some mistakes along the way in trying to be, like, this ideal leader for the team? Can you speak to that? Like, what's team captain, like, been like for you? Yeah. Um, well, it's been, it's been great. Um, I did learn a lot about leadership. It's definitely hard. <laughs> it was hard at the beginning just because I'm I'm trying to lead this team of girls that all have different perspectives and different personalities and we're trying to be a team. And also tennis is an individual sport. So com- coming from juniors where you're an individual person playing your own sport to now playing as a team is tough. Um, but I learned a lot of of leadership skills and really just making sure that it's it's connected like the team is a family and the team is um really in sync and like they're they're trying to achieve a common goal you know? right and the other question i had because you said this is your second year being captain right yeah. um so in, i'm assuming in your third year when you were captain there were girls that were older than you were that had been playing longer mm-hmm. what was that dynamic like was that kind of tough if somebody's more experienced than you per se to like be the leader um there were some challenges but you know I think at the end of the day I learned so much from them as well so like being a leader I learned that I can you know step down at times and just let the person that knows what they're talking about shine um so I did take a lot of uh input from them and it was still really great to have the older players the more experienced players on the team and yeah they contributed so much to my my leadership as well right sure thanks for sharing that and I mean going back to what we're talking about um you know barriers and not because now we want to talk about what's what are the plans for you and I know you're doing some work as well and getting involved to maybe create some awareness about tennis and make it more accessible 
And do you want to touch a little bit about, uh, like, just talk a little bit more about on that event that's happening? Yeah, so we're having a fundraiser for our tennis team. <laughs> um, we're really lucky this year because we're getting uh, Daniel Nestor to come out. So um, for, for anyone that doesn't know who he is, he was, like, number one in uh, the world for doubles, and he's a Canadian. So right. it's really great. Is he from Edmonton? I don't think he's from Edmonton. But yeah, he is. Because if, if you get in touch, then let him know. We'll get him on the podcast. <laughs> when he's here, we'll yeah, get him I'll on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I guess um, you were mentioned like you want to keep, I'm assuming like giving back and coaching younger generations. Is that still part of your plan in the future? Is that something you want to keep doing? Yeah. Um, I know that I still want to somehow give back to, first of all, the tennis team, like the yeah. university team. Um and I know I, like, continuously want to give back to the tennis community however way I can. Um, and hopefully make it more accessible. Like, I, I definitely want to push for more accessibility in adults. Because that's still limited. Right. To a really good, great extent. For sure. And, you know, as we move towards a close, I really want to ask, um, do you have, like, any message to maybe anyone who wants to pursue the sport or anyone maybe who kind of wanted to pursue it at like the level of, uh, as a pro, but kind of got ruled out maybe due to injury or just mm -hmm. personal reasons, maybe couldn't afford it. Do you have a message to anyone of that sort? Um, yeah, I always go by the, by the notion that tennis is a life sport. So I've seen even coaching, I've seen kids that are like as young as three play tennis. And then I've seen, um, like people as old as 98 play tennis like right beside me on a tennis court so I know that it's it's a sport that's not you know harsh or too harsh on the body like you can continue playing it it can always be fun it can always be a great source of uh, you know exercise <laughs> um and it's I think as long as you keep it competitive you'll always have fun with it right and I guess is that your change in perspective now like you kind of see this as Something you want to keep doing just because you like doing it rather mm -hmm. than like chasing this higher goal. Yeah, I really don't have a higher goal for tennis right, right now. I just want to have fun with it and continue making it my life sport. Like, I don't think I'll ever stop playing, you know. And there's like different ways you can invest in a sport too. Like, just because you don't make, like, just because you don't go pro doesn't mean you can't do other stuff. Like, you can't, you can still coach, you can still get involved in the community. And there's so much going on, like, of that in like in Edmonton now with so many like ESSC and like different clubs just starting mm -hmm. up and it's yeah. nice like there's more awareness about sports and they're making them more accessible now especially with like juniors you said there's lots more opportunities coming up as well. Yeah there, there definitely is and there's a lot more interest because it, it used to be very closed off but or, I mean it still is really closed off but now that you have like the success like Bianca is, is a huge success and I even like as a coach I get parents coming up to me and being like oh my kid watched Bianca on TV. Now they want to play tennis. <laughs> like, or like, oh, we heard about Bianca. Now I want to put my child into tennis. Like, the moment you hear that success, like people are attracted to it. People want to take a part in it, and it's great to see. How it. significant has that impact been? Like, just from Bianca's win, like because it got a lot of publicity, and people started to really know, like, hey, you know, tennis? <laughs> the people started doing like, hey, tennis. There's something besides ice hockey, like you know that yeah. Canadians are good at. So yeah. Uh, it's pretty significant in my opinion. Uh, you see a country kind of like come together for one sport 
was kind of huge. Like, you saw it in the Raptors, like, yeah. a few months prior. I never watched basketball. I started watching basketball, like, <laughs> you know, personally. Yeah. Um, so I know a lot of, like, people take more interest in it. And I know that Tennis Canada as, like, an organization is, is becoming more successful and being able to offer more programs and being able to do more for the tennis community, which is really amazing to see. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the last question we always like to end off with is, um, so we like to ask people what makes a game changer in their industry. So for you, like being a student athlete, what do you think makes a game changer? Somebody that's changing the game. In one word. Yes. Oh. <laughs> like one quality. You're killing me here. One <laughs> if you need a couple, we'll give you a leeway. But what, like what comes to your mind? Like what's the defining trait of like a game changer? Somebody who's a student athlete. Mm, I would say probably passion is the word that I would use. Um, I think passion drives everything, so you can change anything with passion. Right. All right. On that note, <laughs> um, like, thanks so much. And, uh, like, I'm, I know you said, you know, you didn't get appreciated much when you were going around. People were asking, you know, is there a tennis team? I hope after this goes out, you know, Bianca got so many interviews. We gave you one, and hopefully people can, like, <laughs> kind of recognize. You're making me famous. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah, no, thank you so much for being on. And it was nice getting to, you know, reconnect after so many years for people who don't know me aj and alina actually went to the same high school so yeah it's really <laughs> like i don't know how like I'm, I'm we're kind of lucky we kind of hold you in that way because i knew it from before and that's how i got in touch with you but i'm sure you're a hard, difficult person to get to the captain no. of the <laughs> pandas <laughs> captain champion so you know no, thanks so much for being on thanks and, for having me and sharing your story thank you very much thank and you. thank you guys for watching and we'll see you guys next time